Well, good morning, everybody. I want to begin uh, this morning by just saying congratulations to uh, everybody for being here today. It's one of the tough Sundays to get to church, travel, Thanksgiving, all that stuff. So just want to congratulate everybody for being here. I want to jump right into Ecclesiastes. Um, today, I think more than any other day, it's just important to get right to the scripture, right? Let's just go right to the sacred text. No small talk, no need to worry about things that have happened or are happening around us. Let's get right to the Bible. It has the, it's the word of God. It's living and powerful and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It's able to convict people of their sin, of pride and whatnot. It's able to unite us, not divide us. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, if you would turn there. And let me tell you, as you're turning in a moment, we're going to put the passage up. And uh, today we're going to look at uh, chapter 9 and 10, some select passages. And uh, next week we're going to tie a bow on this series, this fall series uh, called Are You Satisfied? A look at Ecclesiastes. And we're going to have, I think, a powerful uh, time next Sunday. And then we're going to uh, work our way toward Christmas. We'll have services uh, each and every Sunday. And we want to invite you to a Christmas Eve service. Uh, it'll be Wednesday. How great is that? And Wednesday at 3 o'clock, a real special Christmas Eve service. It's meant a lot to my family and I. And this will be the first day, or first time that we've been able to worship here in our new and permanent home. And looking forward to that. And as you know, Christmas season is a great time uh, to invite people. So if you're in town and around, we'd love for you to invite family and friends to that and make it a part of um, your future. Build a tradition with us as we worship here in this beautiful place on Christmas Eve. How cool is that, huh? Looking forward to that. Gary, can we do candlelight at 3 o'clock? Yeah, we're going to try. We're going to figure it out. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, I said no small talk. So uh, here we go. We're going to look first at uh, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. The scripture talks a lot about a race. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, in, in running a race, uh, all runners run, but not all runners uh, win the prize. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in his dying days, he said, I've I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I have run the race. Um, he tells us in Hebrews, or, or someone tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, hey, run the race. We have a great cloud of witnesses around us. And lay off, lay aside the weight that easily entangles you so that you can run the race with endurance. Um, Isaiah chapter 40, a familiar passage to some of you, gives a great promise. It says that... Uh, those who wait on the Lord, that they will not grow weary as they run. They will run and not grow weary. There's something to be said about a race, about this amazing race. This, this life Solomon is saying, is, it is a race. Your life and mine is a race. And it's this high stakes run for the roses. And how we live, it really matters. And here he says that this race is not always to the swift. Nor is the battle to the strong, nor is bread to the wise, nor is knowledge or riches rather to the intelligent, nor is favor to those who have knowledge. There's a couple of ideas in these first couple of verses that I want, want to talk to you about. 
Uh, the first idea is simply this. For all of your well-laid plans, <clears throat> one event can destroy it. That's what we see in verse 12. We see what? A fish that's taken in an evil net. A bird that is caught up in a snare. And he says, <clears throat> that's a, an analogy to, to your life, to all of us. All of our well-laid plans. Many of you have heard that proverb that says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. You ever experienced that? You ever done what James 4 tells you not to do? You boasted about tomorrow. All right. You said, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to go into this city. We're going to do this. This is going to happen. Be careful. Be careful because suddenly all of your well-laid plans could change in an instance. And men, in late November, we get this, don't we? Fish in a net, bird in a snare. Uh, we love to hunt. Men love to get outdoors, don't, don't they? Most of them apparently are there today, right? Just out in God's great creation, right? Enjoying the outdoors. And we love, we love to do that. There's just something about that. And you can see a man's pride. You can see a lot about the male psyche when it comes to getting outdoors. Bill, what'd you do this weekend? Yeah, I went, went hunting, went duck hunting. Got a couple. What'd you do? Well, I, I killed a pterodactyl. He was flying overhead. My gun jammed. I just reached up, jumped up, grabbed him, brought him down, cut a hole in him, bled him out. But duck hunting, that's cool. That's cool, too. I used to duck hunt when I was like seven. Did you, did you take your little boy or something? Right? We have this thing. It's just one-upmanship, don't we, with men. It's, it's, it's this, this ace of spades, and I spade you. You spade me. There's all this spade, and we try to, we, we've got this thing where we one-up, and we have the ace of spades, and we're better. And there's just something about a man. We want to get outdoors. And so for men, we need to understand this. This can ring really true for us. This is cookies on the bottom shelf here. Uh, Solomon is saying in his wisdom that life can be like that. That when you think you have everything figured out, when your plans are well laid, suddenly, in an instant, it can change. I've seen the church be the church with some of you when this has happened. But in a, in a, in a moment's time, scary, isn't it? Just, would you just acknowledge that? It's scary, isn't it? You, somebody could cross a double line. A doctor could look up from reading a report and give you that news. Something just suddenly uncontrollable, unknowable to you and I. And it happens. He's saying that can be our lives. Like a fish in an evil net. Like a bird caught up in a snare. So for you and I, the children of man, they can come upon us. He says here, time and chance happen to us all. You see, not only for, can all of our well-laid plans be destroyed in an instant, but we're, we're told here to not lean on our natural abilities. All those five analogies that he gives us. He says, hey, you're not going to find contentment in any of these. I ought to know. I'm Solomon. I lived it out. You're not going to find what you think. Your strength, your speed, your own wisdom, your intelligence, your knowledge, 
all that you think that you're going to get, the victory, the favor, the respect, the adulation, what you think is going to bring you contentment is not. Now, let me ask you, are we naturally content creatures? Now, here's the thing. I've, I have three babies. My wife had them. She's with them now, some of them now down the hallway, some of your babies. But we've had three babies, and I can tell you a little bit about babies. She was, I think you could say, the primary caregiver, but I did my share. We, we argue to this day about diapers, what percentage I changed. I say 30, she says 5. <clears throat> the truth is somewhere closer to 5. But what do you know about a baby? Do uh, you, you know any babies that are just sitting there, they, they've just been brought into the world, they're like, hey, don't worry about me. You, you went through this big ordeal just to get me into the world. I'm good. You worry about you. I, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm, I'm wet, but this diaper can wait till the morning. I'm a, I'm a little hungry, but you know, I got this thumb. I'll just suck my thumb. You worry about you, right? No, no baby. Do you know a baby like that? There is no baby like that, right? There's just something about us. In fact, a baby, you could argue, is the uh, exemplification of discontentment. I am wet, I am hungry, I hate you, I have needs, I am going to roar and you will meet my needs, right? There's just this discontentment that you and I have and it is a learned skill. And Solomon is saying if we try to, if we try to do it our way, in just our humanity, life under the sun, as he says repeatedly, we're going to be left. And he says what's coming, you see there's a, there, there can be a sudden explosion in life, but there also can be a slow erosion. And that slow erosion, he says, is that time and chance is coming for everybody. What does time do for us? And how about chance? You say, what, a God, what about God's sovereignty? What about his providence? Solomon is saying there's just some things that are just inexplicable. It's just incredulous. It's hard to understand and to know. There's a lot of life that's mysterious. Sometimes in our scholarliness, in our theology, in our systematic theology, we try to extract that from Scripture, but it's there. There's just a lot of stuff we don't know or understand. But time is happening, and chance is happening to us. And both time and chance have a real powerful way of chipping away at us. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 13 through 18. We'll read these verses next. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city. Now, he's going to tell a parable, okay? There was a little city with a few men in it. <clears throat> and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is a parable, and in this parable, this make-believe story, he says that there is a poor wise man who outsmarts a great king. And he saves a city. Now, we don't know if it was done uh, through diplomacy or done militarily with that kind of might, with weapons of war. Uh, I would guess with uh, uh, diplomatic measures. But we do know that the poor wise man in this parable saves the city. But as he saves the city, 
There's no social recognition. There's no wealth or advancement or long-term respect that comes his way. And Solomon is trying to get us to say, to get us to think rather, that there's something about wisdom that is obscure. It's tough for us to think about in a selfie society. I mean, today I wonder, I look at our little people and I wonder, is it possible to just to do something without telling somebody about it? I mean, we're, it's like getting encoded early in their DNA. Are you with me on this? And even the word secret, I preached on this before. When we hear the word secret, what, what, do, you, what do you think of when, some, when somebody says, I got a secret? You're like, ooh, could be juicy. Let me lean in. This could be something about somebody. This could be about Gary and his sin, right? I want to hear this secret, right? We think and we know about sinful secrets. But Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6 about godly secrets. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, not if, not if. Those are practices that ought to be a part of the life of a Christ follower. Giving and seeking him through prayer. Living a generous life. And fasting, denying ourselves. So that we can experience more of him. Y'all been wanting me to call for a while, had you? And Jesus teaches us the power of godly secrets. When you do these things, don't do them in order to be seen by other people. Now, a lot of wisdom that we want to pursue in life is, hey, I'll do the wise thing if people see me. And Solomon is saying here, hey, there's this great king. He got outsmarted, outmaneuvered. But he still had his lofty status. But the guy who saved the city, no recognition. He told in obscurity, but he did it the right way. There are three principles real quick I want to give you from this parable that I think Solomon uh, shares with us. The first is this, that wisdom is greater than strength. Godly wisdom is greater than strength. When I was little, we would, uh, we would sometimes go to the western Sizzlin. I'm just getting vulnerable with you this morning. We would go to the Western Sizzling. It was a big deal. And I would, I would mount a protest from the back seat. I would protest my objection to Western Sizzling. My parents would say from the front seat, pipe down, we're paying. They usually, that was usually the end of that argument. We would go to the Western Sizzling and we would get steak, chopped steak, which is kind of like, you know, smothered in gravy. It's basically glorified hamburger. Well, then it was, not today. I mean, the hamburgers today are so gourmet. I mean, they would easily destroy the chopped steak, right? And let's just say the chopped steak from Western Sizzling was economically priced. And we would, man, we would eat the chopped steak at Western Sizzling. My parents would pay for it. It was the way life was. Advanced that, years and years later, I had a couple of friends that took me to Ruth Chris. I said, man, what, what do I order here? Where's the chopped steak, right? They said, get the filet. I said, woo, I looked at the price. He said, pipe down, we're paying. I said, yeah. The, and I ordered that filet medium, right? The way God intended it to be prepared. If you're rare, that's just weird, man. I'm just telling you, rare is weird. But I ordered it the way God intended medium. And man, that thing came smothered. Oh, man. And once you've had Bruce Chris, you don't go back to Western Sizzling, right? 
I think we could all agree, man, it's just better. And here in this story, I think Solomon is saying to us that wisdom is Ruth's Chris. But in our youth, in our youth, he talks a lot about old and young in chapter 12. We'll close with that next week. But in our youth, we value strength, don't we? Brute physical force is what we value. But strength wanes over time. Have you noticed? Can I get an amen from some folks my age and older? Strength just has a way of dissipating. It, it, it diminishes. It, it, it goes away over time. But wisdom you and I, as we age, we can grow stronger in that. Now, any of you old enough to have gone back to a high school reunion? Are you with me? And you go back to a high school reunion, and generally speaking, it, it just, I'm just telling you, nine times out of ten, it plays out this way. The, the folks that were the nerdy people now look great and they're successful. But the cool party animal jocks Man, they're just, they're wasting away. Anybody, anybody understand what I'm saying here? And I look back, and I, I'm preaching around too close to my hometown, so I can't name names, but I'm just, I just think of guys that I looked up to or guys I secretly admired or wanted to be like, and I'll think of the way they live and what they went after, and now you see them today, man, and I just like, I could preach the wisdom of Solomon just using their lives as a testimony. Do you, you see what I'm saying? I'm not hating on people, Okay. I'm not hating on people. I'm just saying wisdom is greater than strength. Solomon's right. But he also says here that wisdom is not always heeded. Look at verse 16 or 16b. They, they don't always, they don't always hear. They're, they're, they're not always going to do what they know is right. And herein lies the real conundrum of the human condition, both yours and mine. You know some things that you need to do, but are you doing them? There's some things that it's clear. Scripture's clear. The invitation, it's right in front of you. But for whatever reason, you say no. You, you go the other way. And Solomon says it, you know, it's right here. Even though wisdom is greater than strength, even though it's the gift that you and I need, it so often goes unheeded. In fact, popularity, fame, success, material advancement, wealth, fleshly pursuits, those cry out louder. They scream out. You ever heard the saying, those who know the least know it the loudest? And Solomon is saying, hey, there's some people that, man, they're our heroes. But really, they're just celebrities. And that's all the way more true in the world that you and I live in today. Wisdom, godly wisdom is greater than strength, but wisdom often goes unheeded. And thirdly, he says here what I believe is he's saying wisdom can be overcome by sheer folly. In chapter 9 and verse 18, it says one sinner destroys much good. If you have an open Bible, look down at that. One sinner destroys much good. We have phrases in our day. Uh, a bad apple spoils the whole bunch. 
A rotten egg ruins the whole omelet. He's referring to a person. Do you realize there's this painful phrase in the Old Testament? Sin entered the camp. And sin came in through what? Through a person. Do you know that can happen to a church? It can happen to a family. It can happen to a community of believers. One person can mess things up. You ever found that to be true? One person can shut it down. That's why I believe as a leader, it's really important for us to deal with people who, are, who require extra grace. Or we have to deal with the foolish person. And sometimes that doesn't always end pretty, but you know what? Leadership isn't easy. But Solomon is saying one sinner can destroy much good. In chapter 10, we're going to look at a few verses before we close. In chapter 10, verse 1, he talks about the very same thing. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor look at that phrase so a little folly that's failure unchecked that's sin unconfessed that's us saying it's just a little experimentation it's just a little flirtation it's just a little padding of this expense account it's just a little shadiness it's just a little white lie but have you noticed a little thing can ruin the whole thing. It's true. Watch. Watch out. Watch out for the little things. A wise man's heart, verse 2, chapter 10 and verse 2, inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Why in the world has a Republican Party not used that verse? I mean, where is Karl Rove? If he's so brilliant, why didn't, why didn't he ever use Ecclesiastes 10.2? A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. There's your... There's your politics right there. Now, here's what I want to say about that, just to bring understanding of that. You know, God is not a Democrat. God is not a Republican. He's a, a theocrat. He rules over his own sovereign universe. He reigns supreme. But the Scripture gives a favor. Now, I just have to preach it now so that you'll understand what he's saying. Uh, the Scripture gives favor to, to the right hand. So if you're a southpaw, if you're a left-handed person today, I mean, I'm sorry. I know this offends you a little bit. But in Israel, in, in Hebrew and Jewish culture, the right side, the right hand, was known to be the hand of strength, of skill, of favor, of blessing. Now, in his world as in ours, let's just break it down here. Not hating, just going to tell you how it is. You know this. There are rich people and poor people, right? Just shake your head if you're with me. There are rich people and there are poor people. There are dumb people and there are smart people. Still with me? Still willing to shake your head? There are beautiful people and there are ugly people, right? Right? Let's just, nobody's shaking their head. But it's true. Come on now. It's true. I mean, you know, look around the room. There's not any like maybe supermodels here today, right? But there's also nobody in the room necessarily that would frighten small children, right? But there are, there are beautiful people and there are ugly people. Rich and poor, smart and dumb. And Solomon is saying, hey, forget all of that. Forget all the categories. It is reduced down to this. It's reduced to left or right. It's reduced to are you a fool or are you wise? In Scripture, as I studied last night, through my pain and humility, I got on my knees, got before God, and I, I learned as I was studying that Solomon in, in Proverbs, in Song of Solomon, and in Ecclesiastes, 
He uses the word fool, fools, foolish, or folly 129 times. That's a lot of usage. And he's saying that that's where the heart is bent. It's, it's where our tendency can be to go. Look, continue looking what he says. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. And I believe the second part of chapter 10 and verse 3 when, he says, when, it, when it says that he says to everyone he's a fool, I don't think he's actually saying that. I think by walking in the road, he's letting people know that he's foolish. That idea there is that a foolish person thinks he's bigger than he is. A foolish person thinks he or she is more important than they are. And to have wisdom is to realize, and Solomon would say this, that the universe calls out, that God has designed a universe to remind us how small and insignificant and frail our lives are. Get in an airplane and go high up and look out the window. Do you feel big or small? Go to the ocean and look out, not the reservoir necessarily, but man, look out over the Atlantic or the Pacific and will you feel big or small? Go to a mountain range, Mount Rainier or the Rockies or Everest. Uh, will you feel big or small? God's creation, what he's designed it to be is to let us know, to call out to us our smallness, our not infiniteness, but our finiteness, our frailness, and our need for him. But the foolish person just walks right in the road. The foolish person is saying, hey, I'm a big guy. I'm tough stuff. This road is my road. And that's what he lets people know. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. Verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Before somebody made millions of dollars writing a book called Keep Calm and Carry On, Solomon is saying it right here. And he's just given us a hard truth. We're just looking at some chopped up wisdom here, but he's just given us a, a hard truth that people over you, people that you look up to, that you respect, rulers and bosses, and, and people can just, they can, they just can be ungodly people. They can make it hard on you. And Solomon is saying there's a calmness that can lay these offenses to rest. Some of you are in a hard spot. Some of you don't like that person that has sway over your life keep calm keep calm those offenses can lay to rest the next verses we'll read five um, let's go to five through eight I believe it is oh here okay there's there, there we go eight to ten he who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall he who quarries Quarry stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. Here Solomon is saying, he's talking about our work. He's talking about the various industries that employ people, the, the many tasks that people do. And he's saying, hey, you can get hurt. You've got to be careful. And essentially he's saying... You've heard this, right? You've probably used it. Work smart, not hard. Stephen Covey wrote a best-selling book 
the seven habits of highly effective people. And one of the things he talks about is to sharpen your axe. You're, you're doing work, but get away. Make sure your axe is sharpened. Uh, a dull axe does no good. I'll never forget playing on the high school golf team years ago. And we drove to Tupelo to, to play in a tournament. And on the way back, one of our guys, Jim Wilcutt, ran over a deer. And we got out. He was in the coach's car. And about five cars get out in our, in our crew and we get out, and there's this deer on the side of the road that's not dead yet. And Jim gets out a dull knife and just starts working on that deer. We're like, ugh, let's just run over him again, right? A dull weapon is really, it's no good. It's no good. And we need to consider the value of our work. And we need to consider, do I have the resources to do what God is calling me to do? What is your area of employment? What has God called you to do? Are you doing it with your best? Are you taking time away? Are you getting the, the balance, the rhythm between rest and work? Lastly, verse 11. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advancement to the charmer. Ever seen a snake charmer on television? The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words. Solomon talks about our work. He talks about our words. And here he gives us another reminder. He's done it in Proverbs. He's done it in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And here again in verse 10, he's saying a bunch of words can get you in trouble. Do any of you know this? I do. Now I want to get really close to kind of a tender subject here, but uh, my alma mater uh, lost a football game a, a few weeks ago. And it was aired on CBS, and we, we lost to Alabama. And after the game, it seemed to me we, were, we weren't so mad at Alabama or the rest. We were mad at uh, a couple of guys, Gary and Vern, who called the game, right? Did you, were you involved in it? Did you see this just uh, outcry on social media? And it was like, it seemed to, to, to me to think, that I was thinking that other people were thinking, hey, this guy's just out, he's out for us. And I don't know that they can prove that or I can prove that. I don't even know if I have any opinion on the matter. I'm just thinking this, that if you're paid to talk for four hours, you're probably going to get in trouble. Now, that's what they do. Have you noticed that? They just talk and they talk and they talk. And there's never silence in a broadcast. No matter who your team is, no matter whether you want or lost. I mean, when you're watching a game, they just talk and they talk and they talk and they talk. And I'm just thinking that you and I, if we for four, three and a half, four hours, if all we had to do was talk, we had, we could, it just, there could be no silence then we're going to get ourselves in trouble, don't you think? We're going to offend people. There's just, going to, and there's just a, some wisdom of saying, be careful. Be careful. Be careful of the words that you say. He would say in Proverbs 10, they can bring death and they can bring life. That is the power of the tongue. It's little, it's small, but it's huge. As we round up, I want, to, I want, to look at, I want us to look at the last couple of verses here. In verse 18... Chapter 10 and verse 18. He says this. Man, I'm almost going to need my glasses here. Gary, what does chapter 10 verse 18 say? Yep. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. And through indolence, that's laziness, the house leaks. Here's some wisdom he's saying. 
Laziness can get the best of us. Wisdom is tied closely to our words. It's tied closely to our work. It's contrasted with the world in which we live. And here he's saying this, something really important. Man, there are things that you and I that we know to do, but we don't do them. We don't do them. Just some basic things. And so today as I close, I know that um, there's just a lot of, shall we say, manliness in Ecclesiastes. Here, this guy's lived, and he shared some things, and he's given us a lot of bullet points of wisdom. And a few weeks ago, a friend in our church sent me this, entitled, Men Do These Things. And as I close, I want to read some of these things to you, just some bullet points of wisdom that we might be wise to heed because this man in chapter 10 and verse 18 uh, Solomon describes a man basically that the the house is falling down the roof begins to leak the bills probably go unpaid the beer belly grows men do these things stop talking so much about being a man turn to a man you can trust and say I want to be a better man help me create a free fire zone with five other men anything they need to say to make you better they must say you too do something physically challenging every day stop expecting to understand your wife you never will that's what's exciting get on your knees and ask God to make you the man that he wants you to be write down what you are responsible for then make it all as good as you can get into the wild for a few days a few times a year Think of the best thing you can say about everyone who has wronged you and say it out loud. Say something soul-igniting to each of your children as often as possible. Don't be dramatic about this. Turn off the TV and chase your wife. Eating is not a hobby. Eat less until there's something to celebrate. Then eat huge. Heal up with your father whether he is dead or alive. Spend time and money on your mother regularly. Be generous, dump destructive friends, find noble friends, make each other better, and laugh yourself to death along the way. Invest in a young man. Get your money in order. Save, invest, be ready for emergencies, be generous. If married, stop flirting around. It's a lie. It's also a pitiful substitute for winning your wife. Get to it. Stop talking so much about being a man. Knock down the walls between you and your children. Win them, teach them, discipline them. Have dates with your little girl. When she has dates of her own, be aware. Meet the boy. Be awake when she comes home. Involve him slash her in fun, not boring family events. Pay for some dates. Trust, but not too much. Be on top of this. Make your daughter feel like a princess who ought not give herself cheaply. Be such a man in her life, you make it hard for her to find a husband as good. Tell her what, that's what you're doing. Laugh a lot. Watch man movies and figure out why they are man movies. Discern lessons and live them. Set rules about cell phones and social media. Not at the table, not at family time. Live it first, then expect it. Throw a, throw a misbehaving phone or two in the toilet. Make the point. Clean up your language. You sound like an idiot. Have life insurance for your family. Honor older men. Be a part of a church that encourages noble manhood. Rest from time to time. Dress well, not rich, just well. Get help if you need it. Be the best you can be. Stop being a slob. Clean up yourself. 
Stop watching porn and strippers. Stop playing with yourself. Control yourself until you marry a good woman. Once you marry her, stop having digital mini affairs with some plasticized slut you'll never meet. It's ruining you. Serve the needy regularly. Do it quietly. Do it anonymously if you can. Do it with some trusted friends if possible. Do more as you have more. Stop lying. The truth about you is enough. Tell the truth. Insist on it with others. Read a book a month at the least. Find books you love. Find books you need to help you with, do what a man does. Don't worry about the great literature. You'll get there when you're ready. Watch sports. Enjoy them, but don't make the mistake of watching for doing. Do sports. Enjoy them. There are many different kinds of men. Be your kind. Be your kind of great man. Stop talking so much about being a man. Celebrate the achievements of women. Stop talking about yourself so much. Anger masks hurt. Discover the hurt. Know it. Feel it. Stop hiding behind anger. Have goals. Make lists. Pursue goals. Don't be driven. Trust God. Don't be bitter. Bitterness feeds entitlement. Entitlement leads to misbehavior. Misbehavior leads to destruction. Don't be bitter. Live big. Live happy. Live passionate. Live generous. Live loving. Live manly. You know, there's just some things that we need to do. And we need to be challenged. And if you haven't followed some of these verses that we've been going through these last few months, dig a little deeper. Because Ecclesiastes, in a huge way, has changed my life. It's tapped into my own angst at times and my own doubt. But it's challenged me to get off the couch and to lace up my sneakers and to try in God's strength to live a life of wisdom. Jesus taught us in Matthew 7 when he taught this parable about the storms, about the house, and the storms come. If you build your house on the sand or you build your house on the rock, the storms are coming to everybody. And we've seen that in Ecclesiastes, right? I mean, whether you're living this way or that way, there's just some things that are true for all of us. Storms come. The parable of Jesus in Matthew 7 is not about storm avoidance. It's about how are you building your house. Well, what's the difference between sand and the rock? The difference, he says, is wisdom. And what he says wisdom is, is this. Are you doing the things that you know to be true? Let me pray. God, thank you for wise words that have to do with this race of life, this high stakes run for the roses. And today, again, we're reminded that things are different. Things are not as they appear. And Lord, your wisdom speaks into the world. It speaks into our work, into our words. It, it tells us that it's better than the physicality of our lives, Lord, to cultivate our soul. Lord, to, to allow you to speak into us, to marvel at your words and to not just hear your wisdom, but to begin to see its truthfulness in our lives. And Lord, all of us are tempted, I know I am, to buy into the lies. That whatever's strongest is the best. That whatever is the loudest, I need to go for. 
But Lord, this voice of obscurity at times, this, this poor man can bring salvation. And when our own lives are besieged by sin, by pressures from without, this beautiful gift of wisdom can be ours. And God, it's not theory, it's not esoteric, it's not up in the sky. It ought to be a part of our lives. Our words and our work, our sexuality, our pursuits, our parenting, our friendships, everything about us. God, thanks for the wisdom that you give. I pray that we would hear and heed. In Jesus we pray.